Heavenly Father, I pray for the people who gather here as your people, the church. As Paul prayed for the church in Colossae, that we would have knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that in turn we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience with all joy and thankfulness. And I want to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, without sounding like the most obvious thing to say, I want to say tonight that we've been learning that Jesus is the best. He is the most excellent person that we could know. Uh, You may or may not be persuaded by that, but that's what Paul has been saying right the way through this letter. Jesus is always all we need. Jesus is excellent. And if you were here last week, George would, was leading us, in, or not here in last week, but in Donna Cloney last week, George was leading us. If you just look um, at, at verse 15 um, of chapter 1, uh, Paul said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things are created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities, all things have been created through him. And for him, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church, beginning in the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is excellent. And Jesus, as George told us and shared with us, he's done excellent things for us. So if we read on in that passage, we read in verse 21, once you were alienated from God, once you had no place near God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Doesn't mean you're any more sinful, any less sinful than anybody else. But without Christ, we are sinners separated from God, alienated from him. But look what Jesus done. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through death, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. When the devil tells you you're a sinner, you tell him, yes, I am, but Christ died for me. And in Jesus, not because of you're smart or you're the best or you're anything else, but because of Jesus, you're righteous before God, holy and blameless. Jesus is excellent. He's done excellent things for us. Jesus made visible, and Jesus' death makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. But there's an if. There's that wee small bit in the contract, you know, that we often overlook. And there's an if. Look at verse 23. Chapter 1, verse 23. If you continue in your faith, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel you've heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, If you continue in your faith, Paul says. Now, Paul's intention there is not to cast doubt that these are true Christians in Colossae. He's not trying to even shake us. Uh, But what he's saying is that in order to keep going, we need to stick close to Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. He tells them how firm they are in Christ. So there's no way he's saying that they're not Christians. 
But what he's saying to us and to them is, the way into the Christian life, as we've heard, is the way on in the Christian life. It's Jesus. And we need to keep in him. Jesus is excellent, so keep the faith. Hold on to your hope. Don't stop believing. Not going to sing that. <laughs> or start adding to the basic gospel that you already have. And actually, things would be great if I didn't have this passage to preach on this evening. They'd be so much simpler. Because there's a lot of tricky stuff that we read as we went through that. Because really the thought that runs through Paul's letter, you could basically jump from verse 23 and jump to chapter 2 verse 6 without blinking. It wouldn't make a big difference to the letter. So look, let's, let's try this. Colossians uh, chapter 1 verse 23. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel you've heard has been proclaimed to you to every creature under heaven. Uh, Colossians 2 verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. There's not a break in the thought there. It's all kind of a one big theme. It's simply the truth. You need to stick with Jesus. So why, oh why, did Paul have to write verses 24 in chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 5. Well, the key of why he does write it is at the end. You might have noticed I missed a little bit out of verse 23. Look at the end of verse 23. And of which I, Paul, have become a servant. See, in our passage this evening, Paul is going to show how he fits into the picture. The role his ministry plays in keeping them and other Christians steadfast, keeping them in Christ, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And as we'll see tonight, how Paul fits into the picture, we'll also see how ministers of the gospel, whether ordained like George and I, or not ordained like you, how God matures us in Christ through ministers who proclaim Christ to us. And as I said this morning, church, boy, do we need to hear that today so much. We need to hear gospel truth again and again and again and again because our hearts are breaking. We need to hear gospel hope. We need to hear it over and over and over again or else we'll walk off somewhere else. So if you want to be on the right side of that if statement in verse 23, if you want to keep going to the end through the ups and downs of life as a Christian, well, you need Christ and you need somebody to proclaim Christ to you and not just people with bits of plastic around their neck. You need Christ, and you need a Paul to point you to Christ and remind you that Jesus is excellent. Don't go looking anywhere else. Now, I have to say, none of us is exactly like Paul. We're not chosen by Christ to be the apostle to the Gentiles. We haven't written most of the New Testament, as far as I'm aware. But all of us have various degrees, the opportunity and responsibility to do what Paul did, to proclaim Christ to others. That can be done in various different ways. It could be an email with a Bible verse on it. It could be a telephone call. It could be a simple walking out of the church building and looking to each other and going, that verse this morning, that, that, that Christ the King is still with us in our pain. Boy, I needed to hear that this morning. Did you need to hear that? I really needed to hear that. That's how we do it. And tonight we're going to look at how we do that and, and, and how we keep on going through the ups and downs of the Christian life. We're going to look at two things. 
First of all, what our, our maturity and what keeps us growing towards it, and then and secondly, our ministry and, and what will keep us doing it. And the answer to both will be, not surprisingly in Colossians, Jesus. But we're going to see how that works itself and applies it to our hearts. So the first point is, Christ is the key to keep going in ministry. Whether that's ordained or lay or any type of ministry at all. Because I wonder, did you notice the words that Paul started to write uh, as he talked about this? Words like suffering, struggling, toil, hardship. See, Paul's job sharing the gospel was not like a Club 1830 holiday in the Mediterranean. It was tough. Tough. And if you've ever read the Acts of the Risen Jesus through the Apostles, Acts, you'll realize how tough it was. Paul faces mobs, beatings, imprisonment, drowning, stoned. It's phenomenal what he had to face. Plus, there's the general exhaustion of just walking everywhere. Didn't get on planes to travel all over Europe. Then there's the emotional burden of worrying about people. When he plants a church, he's got to go to another place to start it all over again. There's the exhaustion of that. And then there's the hearing about a church going awry that he's just left and trying to write to them and sort that all out. Paul, as much as anyone, knew the Christian ministry is heartbreaking and hard. But as far as I'm aware, none of us has ever faced death for following Jesus. None of us has been shipwrecked. None of us have been lynched by a mob. And while we may not relate specifically to the suffering of Paul, we can relate to the fact that Christian ministry, whatever we do, whether it's mums and tots, whether it's mother's union, whether it's in the music group, whether it's any type of ministry, whether it's just being here, it can be hard. If you've ever pastored a church or led in mums and tots or in the select vestry or whether you've knocked door in the parish, you've been involved in outreach or maybe you've just been reaching your friends for Jesus. If you've made tea and coffee when people don't notice you or never say thanks to you, you can hear suffering, struggle, hardship. It's tough. Here's just a couple of examples, just maybe they might relate to you. The practice nights for that it's going to start for our music group that just begun. You're working hard at them. Nobody turns up to them. The planning and preparing youth nights for the youth fellowship. You want to share the gospel, but the kids are stuffing bog roll down the loo. You've been up early to make sure the heat's on in the church. Somebody says to you, you should have been up earlier. All of it feels like toil. Getting up early on a Sunday morning to come and help with Sunday school or staying up late to prepare, prepare, prepare for it for the coming week feels like a struggle. Leading a ministry in the church, trying to get the whole church to love others and each other that, that, that comes with a certain amount of suffering because somebody's always had a fight with somebody else. And proclaiming Jesus to a world that just will not or won't or just forgets about accepting him is difficult. Difficult, we need to contend. So how do we keep going? Well, the key to keeping going in Christ 
And we can see that in a number of ways here. First, Paul puts his sufferings into Christ's sufferings. Let me explain that a wee bit. See, what Paul says here, look at verse 24. It can seem a bit complicated, but we'll, don't worry, stick with it. We'll, we'll get to it, okay? So he says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction, for the sake of his body, which is the church. What Paul's doing here is he's connecting two things. He's connecting his suffering with Christ's suffering. He's suffering, Paul's suffering in his physical body, uh, 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 things, uh, 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 and Christ, he's connecting to what Christ suffers in and for the church in his spiritual body. And Paul's saying here, my suffering is part of what Christ will suffer. See, think about it like this. Do you remember in Acts 9 when Saul, as he was then, was oppressing the church? He was going to persecute the church in Damascus. That's where he was going to go. He's going to go and rip them all and drag them all out and kill them. And what happens? This huge light comes, doesn't it? And Jesus says to him, what does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. Saul hadn't persecuted Jesus, had he? But Jesus sees that as Saul persecutes the church, he's persecuting Christ. And what, what Paul is now connecting is the suffering he's suffering in his body is, is part of the greater suffering that Christ suffers for his church. Can you see this? So when Paul talks about something lacking in Christ's afflictions, he doesn't mean that Jesus' suffering in the cross was somehow insufficient for our salvation. If you've got your communion orders, just, just grab them a wee second. We're going to say later on in our service, as we turn to it, just under when we say, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, and is to come, we're going to say these words. Well, the minister's going to say these words. We praise you especially for your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, who by his death on the cross offered once and for all time the one true sacrifice for sin. Now, as I read the one true sacrifice for sin, I'm guessing you don't need to make another sacrifice. Because if it's once offered for all time, the one true sacrifice for sin, you don't need to have anything else. So what Paul is not saying in this letter is that somehow he needs to make up what was lacking in Jesus. Now what Paul means is that Christ's suffering, the church's suffering in history is incomplete. The church still suffers today around the world. Not every affliction that Christ will suffer has happened yet because the afflictions of Christians spreading the gospel continue today and there's people being persecuted in Nigeria, in China, in Korea, all around the world. And so Paul gets great encouragement and joy from putting his suffering inside the bigger story. For him, it's a privilege to know that what he's going through for the Colossians is what Jesus is going through for the wider church. And so when you suffer, when you're having a bad day at the office, put your suffering 
inside the suffering of Jesus. You get that? Slightly. And then in verse 25 to 27, Paul continues this theme of putting his minister in the bigger story. Just look at the words he uses. He says he's a commission from God to present the word of God in all its fullness. He is sharing this God-given revealed mystery. What that means is a revealed mystery in the Bible is something that was hidden that's now being revealed. And it's a message that includes Jew and Gentile alike, a message whose climax is the end of verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul knows that in suffering for proclaiming the message of Jesus, he knows that he's part of something huge. And that keeps him going. So if you're finding your little bit of serving Jesus hard, well, what I want you to do is put that inside the bigger story. Put your suffering inside Christ's suffering. Put your ministry inside God's mystery. Remember, what you're doing plays a small but significant part in God's plan to bring a people from every tribe and nation to know Christ and the hope of his glory. So whether it's making tea, cleaning the toilets, making sure the chairs are out, all of that is significant for it's all part of Christ's work. See, what you're doing for Jesus matters. He sees it and it's worth suffering for. But the other thing that Paul keeps him going is that he knows that he's got Christ's power working inside him. Look at verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. See, Paul knows that his strength for ministry comes not from his own resources. As Lisa keeps reminding me, don't ever do it in your own strength. You will burn out. But from Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwelling within. And that's a huge encouragement for us because all of us who are Christians, we have Christ living in us by his Holy Spirit, the hope of glory. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. Now, we need to temper that. We need to be careful with that. Because when we hear power, we think, oh, I'm going to be a spiritual superhero. I'm going to be like Superman or Superwoman. Or I'm going to be able to, to start preaching outside in Waringstown. And the whole place from Waringstown, Newcastle are going to become Christians just like that. Oh, please, God, may that happen. No, it probably won't. But what God will do is help us do the things that we wouldn't be able to do in our own strength. For example, when we knock our knees and we're nervous and we're speaking to our neighbor about Jesus or inviting them to a service, God will give you strength for that. When you get involved with the ministry in church, even when you feel totally inadequate for it, God will help you in that. When you feel like giving up, praying for things, God will help you in that. This is the power of Christ at work in us. And sometimes we can feel so ordinary. Here's little old me and little old Waringstown that we forget the truth that it's Christ living in us. So the key to keep on going in ministry is to know that our suffering is part of Christ's ministry. Also know that his power sustains us and keeps us. And that's what kept Paul going. Look at verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that's a great summary of Christian ministry. But let's be honest, that's tough. Who here likes to be told off? Put your hand up. That's what I guessed. 
Nobody likes to be rebuked, but if we're going to love each other and care for each other, we're going to have to tell each other that's the wrong thing to do. And that's the right thing to do. And it's a comfort to me to know that as I feel the hardness of Christian ministry, Christ knows that too. That's a great comfort. The sole ways that I've suffered for the gospel have been part of the sufferings for Jesus. Of suffering leading the glory. And as much as I'm able to do, verse 28, it's only because Jesus has been at work in me. And that helps with pride. So to him be the glory. And verse 28 is a great verse for us to keep as a focus for us to learn and to, to work out how we can do this, how we can proclaim the gospel to each other, how we can admonish, how we can teach with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the, the first point. Uh, the first point we saw tonight uh, of Christ is the key to keep going in ministry. Uh, and the second is this. Christ is the key to present everyone mature in Christ. See, Paul's not interested in just making converts. We should never be interested in just making converts, like to have somebody, oh, somebody's made a wee prayer. That's it, another tick on my bedpost. Tick. No, we should be making disciples. That's what Christ commanded us to do, to be disciples, making disciples. Our ministry is not a hit-and-run kind of ministry. It's the hard graft of sitting with people through the muck and the mire and teaching them about Jesus and loving them. And the way to that goal is to proclaim Christ. And, and it's not that Paul proclaims Christ first, and then when people have got it, he says, well then, let me move you on to the meat of the Christian life. You know, the way into the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life, and it's all about Jesus. Christ is the key to keep going on in Christian maturity, and in chapters two and chapter 2 and 2 and 3, Paul expands this by showing us just how excellent Jesus is. Because look, his goal for the Colossians and nearby Laodicean Christians is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul struggles to proclaim Christ because he knows that when it comes to maturity, everything comes down to knowing Jesus. And in, in the phrases in verse 2 to 3, they're well worth dwelling on. Verse 2, the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? That's something that all of us should want to understand the secrets of the universe, to know God's big plan for creation, to have full assurance of deep and lasting confidence, to know not only where we're going, but the whole of human history is going. To have those things would make us rich indeed. And Paul says all those things are to be found in Christ and knowing him more and more. And that's the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians in chapters 1 verse 9. Have a look, 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 look at it. It says, we continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Well, let's think about this from a different angle just to, to understand this a little bit. What's wisdom? What is wisdom? Discernment. Discernment. Brilliant. Anything else? Knowing right from wrong? There you go. Knew somebody was going to give me Proverbs. Good man. Yeah. I, I heard this, actually, and I thought it was really, really clever. Wisdom is valuing things according to their true value. 
Wisdom is valuing things according to their true value. Let me explain that. I have a mobile phone. And sometimes I'm tempted to sit at my dinner table and look at it when my family are all around me. I've just wasted a whole pile of my time that I'll never get again. See, that's not valuing things according to their true value because my family are a lot more important than my mobile phone. At least they should be. See, it's about what things are really worth and being able to react accordingly. You know, so when the bishop comes in all the purple and everything, don't be fawning all over him. All right, he's only a man. Give him his right and due respect, you know. But don't be bowing down to him or anything like that. No curtsy or anything. He doesn't deserve that. If Christ were returned, get on your face. Praise him. Glorify him. He's the true value. So wisdom means seeing the big picture. And that's why older people are often better at this because they've been around a lot longer. And they see what things are worth. And the biggest possible picture for all of life and faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we saw that last week, he's the creator and sustainer of everything. All things come together in and under him. Everything that you do in life, everything you want to do in life, finds its value and how it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to know how to live well, well, you need to know the Lord Jesus. Because actually it's annoying him that you'll know what actions are right and what actions are of lasting significance, what are of value, what are of not, what temporary things are and are relatively unimportant and what things are eternal and my life should be spent in that. See, Jesus gives us this land, lens where we can see the whole world, a, a toolkit where we can see what is of value and what isn't. And look at this, end of verse 2. Christ in whom are are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to get every scientific answer in in, in Jesus, but it will mean that everything you do and say or think should be influenced by Jesus. There will never be a time when you'll get beyond needing Jesus. Where you say, I don't need to work out what Jesus says about this. Because Jesus affects everything. He's the one through whom everything was created. He's the one that sustains everything. He's the one through for, for whom everything was created. So there'll never be a time where you not need Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you'll never get bored of him. There may be bits about the Christian, the Christian faith that you might find boring from time to time, but if you're in Christ, you'll never find him boring. And that's actually what we pray as we preach week by week, that you will find more and more about Jesus your heart will be more captivated by Jesus. You'll go deeper into Jesus to show more of what he's like and what he's done for you and how that changes everything. So that spiritually speaking, week by week, you'll be doing this. Wow. Wow. Isn't Jesus amazing? Wow. You know, that is what, spiritually speaking, I want you to do. Now, if I see 200 people going like this, I probably think they're all asleep. But, but what it is, I want your hearts to be moved by who Jesus is. I want you to see this so that you won't drift away. So you won't want anything else. So when the world points to us with all its so-called treasures and all its trinkets and all its so-called knowledge, 
you'll not be enticed because you'll go, that's a nonsense. That's an absolute nonsense. I've got true treasure, true insight. I've got Jesus. And he will keep you growing in maturity. So keep yourself in places where Christ will be proclaimed. And keep being the, the sort of Christian that proclaims Christ to others that even tonight, that, that even as you're leaving here, you're able just to pass something you've learned tonight. There's a little verse in our reading as we close tonight that, that tells us we can never do this on our own. Part of the encouragement of growing in Christ is being knit together in love because end of verse 27, that Christ in you, that you there, the hope of glory, that the you there is plural. It's not singular. See, we need each other in this task. And I need you to help me and you need me to help you. That's why we're gathered together in the church. We're not saved individually. We're saved into the church for each other. And I need you to keep, me t- keep telling me that Jesus is real and that Jesus is excellent. Because there'll be days in ministry like today when my heart is broken and I will need you to say that. And you'll need me to hear that as well. Because there'll be days like today where our hearts are broken and we need to be reminded of that. And so together, we tonight are gathered around the Lord's table. And it's a brilliant place to be. We remember his life, his death, his resurrection, and anticipate his return. We do this until he returns. And you might want to say as we have this kind of very tight fellowship tonight, you might want to say as you're just passing the bread and wine to each other, you might just want to look into the person's eyes. I know it sometimes can be a wee bit cheesy, but I'd like you to do it. And just look at each other and go, and you just look at each other and you go, do you know what? Jesus is excellent. Do you know what? Jesus is excellent. Do you know what? Jesus is excellent. Maybe you want to do that tonight with each other, just to encourage one another. So you treasure Christ. You don't stop believing. You don't stop proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because Jesus Christ is excellent. And he's done excellent things for us. And it's only in him we will keep on going, maturing and ministering to one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are truly sorry when we try to do the Christian life in our own strength. When we think that growth to maturity is, or labor or ministry, we, we, we can do it without you. Or we think we need more than you, please forgive us. Help us to repent of that. Help us to keep coming back to you. To know that you're the one in whom all the treasures and understanding can be found. We can never know all of you. And to keep us learning more and more. You're utterly amazing. Keep us excited about you. You're utterly excellent. Keep us convicted in that. That we remind one another of your excellence so we may grow to maturity. And we pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.